glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, so commandments tonight. Uh, let's think of specific practical commandments, not, not commandments having to do with salvation, but those of us who are saved. So um, somebody, who's going to be first? Amen. Recompense no man evil for evil. We're not to repay evil with evil. That is a command. Another? Yes. Lie not one to another. Truth. Yes. Not to forsake the assembly of ourselves. Yes. Amen. Yes. Okay. Pray without ceasing. Preach the gospel. Study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that need not to be ashamed. How about rejoice evermore? In everything, give thanks. All right. Any more? Jansen? To do things for one another. We're to buy love, serve one another. That's right. That's right. All right. How about another? Yes? Buy the truth and sell it not. All right. That's a proverb. That's not, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. That's a command. Amen. Yes? Be careful for nothing. Very good. These are pretty specific, aren't they? Do they have specific um, application to our lives? I mean, they're going to determine the way we talk, the way we treat one another, the way we spend our time. Give me just maybe three or four more. Yes. Believe not every spirit. That's correct. Yes. Okay. Take no thought for the morrow. Another. Yes. Honor your parents. Okay. Amen. Very good. Very good. All right. Yes. Quench not the spirit. Okay. One more. Make no friendship with an angry man. Some of these are old. Some of these are new. These are applicable commandments in our lives from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These just scratch the surface. Do they not? How in the world can you remember all these things, by the way? How can you re- I mean, the Old Testament law got 600 and what was it, 33 commandments? I think I'm, I'm right on that. And they were summarized in ten, which are summarized in two, right? How in the world do you remember all of these commandments? I mean, how many of you have sat down and written down all the ones we just said tonight? You don't have to. They're written down for you. But I would say this. You have a living person inside of you that before you even memorize the verses that you're talking about tonight, how many of you already had a sense in your spirit since you got saved that murmuring was wrong before you ever knew that the Bible says do all things without murmurings and disputings? But when you read it in the Bible, you go, oh, that's why that bugs me, because I know it's wrong. And so my point is this. We are not under just a certain number of rules, and if you can do your best to keep those rules. We live under a rule, and that is love God. And if you love God, you keep his commandments. Which ones? All of them. If you love him, none of them are out of bounds. Um, in, In our world and in our culture, there has been especially since the 1960s, in our American culture, a glorification of rebellion. It, you, you, you can't deny it. At every level, uh, authority is attacked, whether it's civil authority, there is a despite for police officers in our day, whether it's in the home, there's a despite taught for parents and for husbands, whether it's in the workplace, a despite talk for, uh, for employers. I heard a news clip the other day 
talking about coming out of COVID, and they see, you know, the work structure's changing. Instead of a supervisory role where, where the supervisors are coming in and they're gatekeepers making sure things are being done right, they are, they are more, and I forget the term that was used, but the idea of coming alongside to just encourage. You know what it is again? It's another belittling of authority even in the workplace. So the idea of obedience to an authority is taboo in our culture. You don't do that. I just mentioned a bunch of human authority. But may I say this? In our nature, our difficulty, and I'm not going to teach and preach a message tonight on authority, I just, but there's a lot said here in these three verses about obeying. And really when there's a rebellion in the culture against established human authority, it is nothing more than a reflection of the rebellion in hearts against divine authority. That's what that is. When you find a rebellion against uh, earthly authority, it is an expression of rebellion against divine authority, and you cannot separate, if you would, the relationship we have with men from the relationship we have with God. You just can't. When, when there are difficulties in human relation, it's because there's a difficulty in heavenly relation. That's just the way it is. That's why the first... Two commandments are, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so uh, the one guarantees the other. And uh, that's really what John's touching on again here, specifically as it relates to the family of God. I believe this. Love, genuine Bible love, is the glue that holds Christianity together. I mean, it really is. Our love for God is what keeps us in His will. And by the way, you don't get saved by loving God. Let me just say that. You get saved by believing God. And once you've believed God, then you learn to love God. That's why He says, we love Him because He first loved us. Nobody gets saved from their sins by loving God. May I say something else? No one has always loved God. I've heard people say, I've loved God all my life. No, you haven't. We love him because he first loved us. We may think we've loved God. You may have a fondness toward God and the things of God that's not the same as love. And so we'll see just some simple things as John continues in chapter 5 for just a few verses emphasizing love. We're going to see three things in the three verses here surrounding the subject of love once again. They're very practical, uh, very, very clear, and I hope will be a help to us. So let's read 1 John 5 verse 1. Through verse 3, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, don't blow by that statement too fast. Uh, I don't know of any so-called Christian religion today that would say Jesus is not the Christ in with their words. All right, in their words. But when you look at the Bible and define those terms, Jesus is his earthly name, meaning Savior of the people. The Christ is the... It is the... Uh, is the um, uh, it is the Messiah that's prophesied in the book of Daniel. He's called Messiah in the New Testament, the Messiah. And it's, it, so it is the interpretation of the Old Testament term Messiah, meaning he is the anointed of God. It is dealing with the exclusiveness of the God-man, Jesus Christ. So for those false religions that deny the deity of Jesus Christ, they don't believe First John 5 verse 1. They don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Mormons do not believe that Jesus is the Christ. They do not believe he is Jehovah God become man. They believe he is a man who became God. And they believe you and I can do the same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is the 
Christ. They do not believe that. They do not believe that He is God in the flesh. And so that's exactly what that means. So whosoever does believe that is persuaded in the heart sincerely that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Meaning you don't come to that conclusion on your own. God revealed that to you and you believed it. And whoever believes that is born of God. And everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. All right? Now, we'll get back into the, the kind of the meat of this in just a moment. There's not a lot of complexity to it. But he starts in verse 1, John does, working his way to what he's going to say in verse 3. And he defines again what constitutes our relationship with each other in the family of God. He wants to be very clear when I say love one another, that we're to love everybody in some sense because the Bible says to even love our enemies. And so, But here he's talking about the family of God and he's, so he's going to define again who's in the family. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This is what tells me that though the family of God and the work of God is carried out at the local level through the local New Testament church, our love for, for one another is not to be limited to one church. Meaning, I love the members of Bonner's Free Baptist Church, but I don't love the members of Clark Fork Baptist Church, or I don't love the members of Valley View Baptist Church, or some Christian that's even out of the will of God, not even in church. How many times we meet somebody, we met somebody on Sunday, clear testimony of salvation. She's not in church. But she says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, I'm not supposed to love her because she's not in church. Is that what he's saying? No. No, this is talking about a familial love, meaning you have to learn how to love people that are doing right because they're in the family of God. Sometimes people in the family of God are under God's chastisement and doing wrong. How do you know some people are easier to love than other people? I heard a pastor say this week in a message. He said, you ask me, do I have favorite church members? He's a very kind of a blunt. Some of you boys know what I'm talking about. Do I have favorite church members? He said, yes, I have favorite church members. He said, oh, no, a pastor you're not supposed to say. He said, look, some people are easier to love because they're easier to love. I love them all. But some people make it hard to love them. So by default, your favorite ones are the ones that are easiest to love. I'm not saying it's right. It's just the way it is. All right? And the fact of the matter is there are some Christians who are hard to love. Let me ask you something. Do you think it would be easier to love the Apostle John or to love Thomas? Which one of those do you think would be easier to love? Well, I know which one was closer to Jesus. Huh? But did the Lord love them both? He did. My point is this. John's going to say here, I want to define who I'm talking about. If someone is born of God, you love them. Why? Because they're born of God. We touched on this in numerous messages prior to this. Why do we love them? Because they're in the family. That's what he's going to say in the latter part of the verse. So it begins in the first part of verse 1. Uh, establishing what constitutes our relationship spiritually with other people. How can you call someone brother if they're born of God? Well, who's born of God? Everybody that claims to be a Christian? No. Everybody that goes to a building on Sunday that's called a church? No. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. Let me, let me belabor that point for just a moment. Whosoever believeth, all right, believeth means to be fully persuaded that something is of actual fact. I am completely and fully persuaded. Acts 4.12 says... Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Do you notice he didn't say, uh, whosoever believeth in Jesus? 
That's what our maybe our culture would say today. Well, if somebody says they believe in Jesus, I count them a brother. No, he said, whosoever believeth that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the one born of the Virgin Mary, the one recorded in Scripture, he's going to talk about the record of God's Son in chapter 5. God's given us a record of His Son, both Old and New Testament. We have a record of Jesus Christ. You believe that that Jesus... Acts 1 says this same Jesus, the one described and, and recorded in the Bible, the one who raised people from the dead, the one who lived a sinless life, the one who died on Calvary's cross, the one who was buried and raised again, that's the Jesus we're talking about. You believe He, this one man, is the Christ. I mean, He's the only person anointed by heaven to save man. If you believe Acts 4.12, if you believe John 14.6, 1 Timothy 2.5, I mean, it's not enough to believe that Jesus is a Savior. So I've met people like this. They say, you know what? I personally am a Christian. I believe that I am trusting Jesus of the Bible for my salvation. However, I don't believe he's the only way of salvation. I believe that God looks at people's heart. And if a, a Buddhist is sincere, then I think God's going to save them. That's not a Christian. No. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you do not accept the exclusiveness of Christ, you're not a Christian. If you do, you say, you know what? I believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by him. Because to believe he's anything else is not to believe him, it's to call him a liar. That's what he'll say later. If we don't believe the record that God gave of his son, we're calling God a liar. And God gave a record of His Son that He is the Christ. And so the Jesus of the Bible is the heaven-sent Son of God and the only one who has power to save man. Again, Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why is it important to teach this? The same reason it was important in the first century to teach it. Because there are those that will treat Jesus like a... um, a pathway to God, not the path to God, that will te- treat him like a good example. There are religions that are extremely skillful in saying, we believe in the redemption that is found through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you get dig, dig a little deeper into what they believe, what they say is, Jesus came not only as a Savior, but as an example. And we must conform to that example if we are to obtain salvation. That means Jesus is the Christ with my help. Eh? Jesus didn't come to assist me in saving myself. Jesus came to save me because I cannot save myself. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed of God to take away the sins of the world, whosoever believes that is in the family of God. You know, you deal with a brother or sister in Christ, here's one of the things I've found. If you can get them to this point, say, you know what, if you were to face God today, Who are you trusting to make you righteous enough to get you into heaven? A true brother, if you give them that opportunity and they can think it through, they'll say, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Do you have any part of that? I'm just trusting him. And they may put in different words, but when it boils down to, you know know where their faith is at? In the Christ, the Christ. in In a pluralistic society, Jesus is not a Christ. Is the Christ, right? So we've established that. He constitutes relationship. Whosoever believeth. You know what I like? There's a whosoever there. That's wide open. If you'll take God at his word and you'll believe what God says about Christ, you, you can be saved. You're in the family of God. But as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe 
on his name. And so he constitutes our relationship. What, what, what constitutes family relationship? When, when someone believes that Jesus is the Christ, they are a, then a child of God. You know, I'll just say one more thing. He doesn't say, whosoever loveth God, he is born of God. Is that what he says? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You get in the family of God by believing that Jesus is who God says he is and putting your trust in him. That's how you get in the family of God. Not by being like Jesus. Whosoever is conformed to Jesus is born of God. It's not what it said. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I'm glad for the simplicity of Scripture, aren't you? I'm glad I can read 1 John 5, 1 and couple that with John 3, 16 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... There, that word again, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Our part is so simple. You know what our part is for salvation? Believe that God told the truth when he said that Jesus Christ came to save and that he would if we'd put our trust in him. Salvation is taking God at his word. God says, you put your trust in my son, he'll do the saving for you. Man does not assist God in saving ourselves or making ourselves part of God's family. We trust he saves I'm great, grateful for the simplicity of Scripture. All right, so the, we're talking about the association. What associates us or, or creates the association of love, uh, relationship of love? Well, the constitution of that is seen there in verse 1, the first part, and then the constraint of our relationship. Uh, it says, so he says, 1 John 5, 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Then he, there's, you find a colon there in your Bible. And everyone that loveth him that begat... So we're talking about who's born of God. God is the one that begat. Everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you love the father, you love the children. We spoke of this last week. And so he speaks here in verse 1 of the association of love. What, What associates us so that we would love one another? Well, we're in the same family. We have the same father. And if you love God the father, you love God's children. Very simple concept, which we've gone over so we won't belabor that. Verse 2, he begins to deal with the assurance of love. So verse 1 is about the association of love, but verse 2 is about the assurance of love. He says this, by this, we need to pay attention, he's going to tell us something important, by this we know that we love the children of God. If you read verse 1 and you read chapter 4, God says, if you don't love the brethren, you're not in the family. You know what that says to me? Then I want to know I love the brethren. Well, here, how do you know if you actually love the brethren? How many of you know there's a lot of false forms of love? We talk about it a lot. So how do you know you're not engaged in a false form of love? How do you know that you don't simply love God's people because of the benefits they afford you or whatever it may be? What can we look to to say, I really do love God's people? I mean, because look, can you trust your emotions? No. Some days you don't want to be around God's people. Is this true? Some days, I'll be honest with you, there are some days, I'm a pastor of a church, this is my job. There are some days, it is more appealing to my flesh to stay home by myself than to be around God's people. Say, pastor, you're just like I am. Then why do you go ahead and come? Because you love God's people. Why do you love God's people? Because you love God. Amen? It's not complicated, is it? Boy, we know how to complicate things. So it's not about how you feel. It's not about, boy, you know, I just, I so enjoy Zeke's company and he so enjoys mine. We can't stand three days without saying hi to each other. Now, that may be true, or it may not. It has nothing to do with it. He's a child of God. I love him. 
you're a child of God and we love you. But how do we know? Like John says, I'm going to tell you something. This is how you know that you love God's children. He's just said, if they're a child of God, then you're supposed to love them because you're in the same family. That's what the first one says. Well, then how do you know if you love them? By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. He brings it right back to the same thing. He says, here's how you can tell if you love God's children. If you, if you love God, and you love God by obeying God. And so then the, the conclusion, he says, in the beginning of verse 2, he says, you can have some clear comprehension and conclusion in your mind. I know I love the children of God. How? Because I love God and do what God says. I keep his commandments. Meaning, John doesn't even say, here's how you know that you love the children of God. When you have given five gifts to five Christians every month. He doesn't even talk about our relationship with each other. He says, this is what constitutes love for God's children, and that is obedience to the Father. Now, I want us to back up just a little bit and think about the commandments we gave earlier. Let's rehearse four or five of them, can we, Uh, of the commandments we gave earlier. So, let's think about the effect that obedience to God has on other people. Okay, Miss Mary mentioned not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What if tonight... Um, I let my emotions rule and I said, boy, it's, uh, it's Thursday, I'm tired, I'm going to stay home. And tonight I hope somebody will just fill in and give something from the Bible because I'm staying home kicking my feet up. And you show up in church like, where's pastor? My wife says, I don't know, I thought he was going to be here. And then someone says, well, where's Jim tonight? Well, Jim was busy. Oh, where's Miss, I mean, can you imagine if you show up in church and there's only two of us here? What effect would that have on you? Very discouraging. What effect does it have on you when you see people who come sporadically get more faithful? Meaning they only come on Sunday morning, all of a sudden they start showing up on Sunday night? Oh, man, what is the effect? It strengthens you. Say, man, it's encouraging. So your absence is discouraging. Just your presence is encouraging. So what is the net result of simply obeying Hebrews 10.25? we're able to exhort one another, which is exactly what he says to do. So is it important we obey God? How about rejoicing evermore? How many of you have been around somebody that finds a way to rejoice in every circumstance they're in? You'll meet one out of a hundred that obey that commandment? Seriously? You tell me, what effect does it have on you when you find someone that chooses to rejoice instead of murmur? What's the net result of obeying that commandment? It is convicting. Amen. Is that good for us? We are to provoke one another unto love and the good works. It is convicting. What else is it? It's helpful to keep you from sinning. Amen. It's also edifying because it will show you how to do what you know to do is right. Let's think of some more commandments. Uh, somebody else give me another example. I've, I've brought up two. What was another one we come up with? Pray without ceasing. How many of you believe in the effectiveness and power of prayer? How many of you think you've prayed for the King family at least five times in the last ten days? How many think you've probably prayed for them ten times in the last ten days? Yeah, you probably have, most of you. Um, how many of you um, believe that God answers those prayers? Let's just you can use any other. Pray without ceasing. Let's think about this. What's the net result on you when you obey that commandment? When you Meaning... You say, I'm not going to skip prayer. I'm going to take time to pray. I'm not going to give up on prayer. Does it affect you well spiritually? What effect does it have on other people? 
It helps them. I'm going to do this for you. Prayer is effectual. It is, it is a powerful tool, more powerful than we think. Praying without ceasing has a positive result on the family of God. Does it help us to pray together? Absolutely. Praying without ceasing. Find me one commandment that when you obey it is harmful to somebody else. Come about the commandment of God. Can I think of one commandment that when I actually obey what God tells me to do, it has a detrimental effect on someone else? You're thinking of something. <laughs> Amen. Now, I'll agree with that one. I'll agree with that one. <laughs> I had a woman say to me one time, Pastor, the Bible says great one of the holy kisses. The key word in that phrase is holy. Amen. <laughs> so the holiest kiss you can give me is the one you keep to yourself. Amen. Uh, so, all right. So if you obey God's commandments, it's not, it's going to bless. But when we don't obey, you know why John says this? If you're going to love people, you love people by obeying God. It's that simple. You know what? You can study human beings and say, boy, what's the best way for me to love Braden? I've got to figure out all the stuff he likes. I've got to find the stuff he enjoys. Uh, and then I've got to shower those things on him. Boy, it's hard to know how. You know what? You know, God tells me to love my wife. You know how I can love my wife? By obeying God. He tells me to pray without ceasing. You know what? I learn how to minister to my wife in the prayer closet. Because I'm selfish by my nature. But when I get with the Lord, God cares about her more than I do, and He's going to start speaking to me about how I'm supposed to care for her when I spend time with Him doing what He told me to do. If I'm constantly grumbling, murmuring, and complaining around her, I'm going to, going to stir in her a bitterness that will hurt her if I say, you know what, I'm going to give thanks in everything. It's a hard day, but I'm going to thank God for it. That's going to encourage her. It's going to help my children. I guarantee you, where we are a detriment to one another is where we need to perfect obedience in our lives. And where we're a blessing to each other, it's where we are obeying in our lives. And none of us are perfect in our obedience, so sometimes we're a detriment to each other. What God says is you love each other, and you'll know that you love each other when you obey me. Sometimes the reason we're not sure if we love others is because there's some area of our life we're not obeying God. We're unsettled in our own relationship. We say, I'm not sure about my own walk with God. I'm not sure. God says, boy, you're in the family if you love the brethren. Then I'm not sure if I'm in the family because I don't really like the brethren. Just get to obeying God. You know, this, I, I, t- I talk to men who have a profession of faith. and I say, look, it's, it seems so complicated, especially when they're coming out of a life of sin. It seems so complicated. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in prayer. Get in church. And then as God informs you of His will in your life, obey it. Just obey it. And all of a sudden, it will assure you of your standing with God. It will assure you. John says, by this we know that we love the children of God. You want to give yourself a litmus test tonight? You want to give yourself a little test say, do I love the children of God? Are you obeying God? Here's how you know if you love the children of God. If you obey the father of all the children. i got news for you. My children, if they'll listen to the instruction I give them about how to treat each other, if they'll just do what their mom and I say and how to treat each other. It'll strengthen their relationship with one another. I don't want them fussing with each other. I don't want them fighting with each other. I don't want them arguing and calling each other names. I don't want them backbiting each other. I don't want them teaching each other how to sin and hide it and keep things in secret. So they'll just simply obey. And I'm a human father with a lot of flaws, but if they would obey me, it would strengthen their relationship with each other. Now, if that's true in a, in a sinful human relationship, how much more with God? God says... 
Here's how you know if you love the brethren, love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Keeping His commandments is of utmost importance. Then verse 3, the Bible says this, now we're going to begin, we've dealt with the association of love, what brings us into relationship, the assurance of love, how do we know that we're loving each other? By obeying God. Number three, the actuality of love, or the essence of love, if you would. Verse 3, for this is the love of God. Now, he's not talking about God's love for us, but our love for Him. By the way, and you've heard me say this a lot of times, I've met a lot of people uh, that boast of loving God, boast of loving God. You meet some people, and boy, every time you're around, I just want you to know how much I love God. In At the same time they're saying that, there is... There is disobedience in their life that not only they know of, but it's so blatant that anyone who knows them knows they're disobeying God. Now, I don't think it's right, so I bite my tongue, but I want to say, you're a liar! You don't love God! I don't say it. But one of these days, I'm probably going to, and then you'll know why I'm toothless. (laughs) Because it... When you, and I'm not talking about, look, I understand we all have areas where we need to be perfected. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about willful, knowledgeable disobedience to the commands of God. Someone says, ah, oh, I love God. You know what? The Bible says, let's just define what love for God is. And let me keep it simple so you can, you know, we're not talking about how to get saved. We're talking about people who are saved. How do we return love to the one who's loved us so much? You can be saved and not be loving God like you should. You can. It's possible. But the Bible says, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Well, that's complicated, isn't it? May I say this? You you keep God's commandments, you'll be a giver. You keep God's command. I'm talking about financially, of your time. God's told us to to prefer one another. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If we'll just obey God... We'll, be, we'll give sacrificially to each other. Uh, if we'll just obey God, we'll be a thankful people. If we'll just be a, obey God, we'll be a praying people. If we'll just obey God, we'll be a holy people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. That's not a physical separation. It's a spiritual one. It's about our character and our conduct. We're to be a distinct people. If we just obey God, that's all it takes. And so, the actuality of love is this. God says, you want to love me, you do it with one thing. Obey me. He doesn't say give certain amounts of money. He doesn't say... Um, one of the things that has... We're, we're a culture that likes to do big things, big things, big things. God doesn't say, and herein is the love of God, that you do some big thing for God. I know the pastor in Indiana, and he preaches much on the distinction between being great and being good. And he says, we're a nation that wants to be great because we want to be admired. We want people to admire us. Go be a great dad. Be a great pastor. Be a great evangelist. Be a great missionary. He said, how about just be good? The Bible says do good. Why should we... By the way, where in the Bible does the Bible tell us to be great? Where does it tell us to go do some great thing for God? I got news for you. If you'll just faithfully obey God, in His eyes, that's great. You're a child. You say, you know what? I believe this. As a child, you can be a great Christian. Say, I'm going to honor and obey my parents. I'm going to be kind to my siblings. I'm going to be holy in my living. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to witness as I have opportunity. I'll give out a gospel tract because the Lord wants me to. I'll be honest with you. You know what the number one reason is why I witness to lost people? The one motivating factor when I lose my compassion for people, because you do, and it has to be rekindled, 
when I am too tired to think about people and it, something's brought back, there's one motivating factor. There's one thing that always comes back to why I must this week find some lost soul to speak to about the gospel and as often as I can and every day as much as I can find somebody to give the gospel to. There's one reason. Jim said it. Jesus said to. Right? He said to. That's enough, isn't it? Now, there's a host of other reasons why, but that's the primary. Because we love him, we obey him. Uh, we go to church. Not, I, you know, help me here real quick. For those of you who talk to the people and try to encourage other Christians to be in church, what would you say are the top three reasons people say they're not going to go to church? Somebody else going to have to help me. I can give examples. Miss Mary? Too busy. That's right. Too busy. We, we hear that all the time. Jenny Beth heard it today. We have, uh, we have a lady. Every time we knock on her door, she's not doing anything, but she's too busy to come to church. Now, she's not saved, but that's her reason. She's too busy. What else? I'd say that's number one. That's number two. Yeah, the third one I hear is, I worship God. Yeah, I'm too tired for sure. I worship God in the mountains. Well, bless your heart. Worship Him in the mountains, but come to church. Amen, if you're saved. So we hear these reasons why. You ever heard somebody say, I don't go to church because the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word commanded me not to. <laughs> no, you won't hear that one, will you? So we don't we do not do that out of love for the Lord. It's out of love for self. The Bible says this. The way we express love for God is... So here's what I'm trying to say to you. When it comes to church attendance, that was one of the examples given. You don't do it because the people are nice. You don't do it because you have a lot of energy. You do it because he said. What if the church is full of hypocrites? I don't know if any church doesn't have at least a hypocrite in it. Even Jesus' first one with 12 disciples had a hypocrite. And he still died to make it a church. Right? I don't know of any that don't. I don't know of any perfect churches out there. So if you're, that's not why we go. We don't go because the members are perfect. We go because he said. I don't tithe because it makes my income better. I don't, hey, God may bless that. You may have to pinch pennies. I tithe because I believe the tithe is the Lord's. Before there was ever Mosaic law, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. There was no law told him he had to do that. That was the Lord's. That's a good place to start. It's a good place to obey the Lord. I don't give the missions because there are no bad missionaries or missionaries are going to flop out. No, because he said, give and it shall be given. Uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so the actuality of our love is we express love to God through obeying him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And here's why I'm belaboring this point. We have had a brand, and it's not Christianity really at all, but a brand of Christianity developed in America that allows you to disregard many of the commandments that were spoken in this room tonight and absolutely willingly and purposely disobey them and say, but I still love Jesus. Hogwash. Hogwash. You may be saved, but you don't love Jesus if you're disobeying him. Amen? We'll get into later. No true child of God can continually and perpetually disobey God. God will either chase them into obedience or bring them home. That's Bible. So if a person can perpetually live in disobedience and there be absolutely no interaction or counteraction in their life, they're not a child of God. And we'll get into that later. Whatsoever is born of God sinneth not. That, that sinneth there has to do with a continual state of sinning without interruption. 
And that's Bible. Again, we'll get into that later. But the fact of the matter is, the expression of love for God is just doing what He says. We need not underestimate. And you know what? Satan will. You know what? You know what? Satan works hard. If you're saved, he can't take your salvation, but he can sure talk you into disobedience. He can cripple your life, get you to disregard God's will for your life. And here's how. What do you think is probably the number one reason people say, I'm just not going to obey God in this area? What do you think is the number one reason? I hear two words. It's too hard. God's will is just too difficult. Well, I'm glad the Holy Spirit gave us the Bible because you know what the rest of verse 3 says? This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. That word grievous means so burdensome that they're too difficult. It's a burden too difficult to bear. And what happens is, and I remember as a young person um, thinking, man, serving God is just too hard. That was not an indication of the grievousness of God's commandments. It was an indication of the size of slothfulness in my heart. May I say this? To a sluggard, everything's hard. Getting out of bed is hard. Lifting your spoon is hard. The sluggard hideth his hand in his bosom and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. You ever watch somebody like that? Honey, would you hand me my coffee? Get up and get it yourself! (laughs) So I'm trying to say this. When we have the sin of slothfulness in our life, the commandments of God are going to seem grievous. But John says, let me help you with something. God's commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. Uh, they're not, they're not too difficult to bear. We hear cries all the time today. We're not, to, of, of legalism and despotism and tyranny. And I'll be honest, I've heard it. One of the number one reasons churches today are charged with legalism is because the pastors and teachers in the church will challenge the members of the church to not forsake the assembling. Oh, that is so burdensome. Isn't that amazing? It's not burdensome to go to work six days a week. It's not burdensome to go to t-ball and soccer. It's not burdensome to take five trips to Walmart, but to go to church two days a week. Hey, look at God's commands are not grievous. And he's got a lot of them. But the Spirit of God says, look, if you think that obeying God is too hard, your perspective's wrong. If you love God, you know what makes God's commandments not grievous? Love. Love. You know what? There's a certain level of burden created in my life by being married. True? I have a responsibility. Because I'm married to my wife and we have children, I have a responsibility. It is my joy to provide a home for my family, a house. It is my joy to provide food and clothing. Why? Because I love them. It's a... Man, why do I have to provide her a place to live? Why do I have to buy clothes for these kids? Why do I have to... Do we really have to spend time talking to each other? I mean, do we have to do that? I've got better things to do on February 14th than spend the day with you. Come on! Elders are grievous. And that's for a fellow human being. What about God? He's perfect. If God's commands are grievous, it's because there's either no or little love. This is love of God. We keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous. I remember this verse helping me so much. Because in my mind, I thought, man, God's commands are harsh. Boy, they're tough. I mean, praying without ceasing and uh, rejoicing evermore. How many feel like that's a pretty high standard? Rejoice evermore? I mean, like always? 
It's not grievous. Did he rejoice evermore? He did. He did. So my point tonight is, is God's point to us is this. When you're in the family of God, you love God's children. And here's how you know you love God's children, when you obey God. And here's why we obey God, because we love God. This is the love of God. You want to know if you love God's people, you obey God. You want to know if you love God, obey God. Isn't that amazing? Obeying God is the answer to it all. If you love God's children, you obey God. If you love God, you obey God. And we don't have to study uh, psychology to figure out how to love God's people. Just do what God said. Just do what God said, and that would be best for everyone around us. Young people, you say, I want to know how to love my siblings, love my parents. Obey God. I want to know how to love other Christian friends. Obey God. Uh, we say, I want to know how to love my mate. Obey God. That's it. That's what it boils down to. If we love him, we keep his commandments. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The law of Moses was grievous. The Bible says so. It was, a, it, was a, it was a burden too heavy to be borne. No one could pull the weight of the demands of the law of Moses except Jesus Christ. But we're not under that. We're not under the law of fear. We're under the law of love, the law of liberty. We've been set free from bondage. We are free to obey God because the one who has fulfilled the law lives within us. So come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For, uh, for my, uh, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Light is the opposite of grievous. So obeying God, it's, it's, a, it's a light thing because we do it because we love Him. It's a completely different motivator. And so tonight we've seen the association of love, verse 1, the assurance of love, verse 2, the actuality of love. If I love Him, I'll obey Him. Amen? I hope that's helpful to us tonight. So simple and yet convicting. Amen? It should be. Convicting to the point where we say, you know what? I'm not going to be okay with any aspect of my life that I'm knowledgeable is not in obedience to God. Why? Because I love Him. I won't obey him, not because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell, but because I know I'm not. I don't obey God tonight because I'm afraid he'll throw me into hell. I obey him tonight because I already know he took that for me and I'm not going to hell. Amen. Mm-hmm.